Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowd. And Sarah, what if I walked up to your cube and said to you, death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people? I would say, Katie, what are you talking about? And I would tell you, Sarah, <laughs> that that was the motto of the Symbionese Liberation Army, the group that kidnapped heiress Patty Hearst. And probably a lot of us know Patty Hearst better than her famous grandfather, William Randolph Hearst, the publishing giant who we've talked about now in the Newsies podcast and a podcast dedicated to his life. And the Hearst Castle podcast. And the Hearst Castle. But a short time after Patty Hearst was kidnapped, she proclaimed herself one of the SLA and started robbing banks with them and calling herself Tanya. So the question here, of course, is what on earth happened? And to start that off, we should probably get some background about who the SLA is. Yeah, the Simonese Liberation Army. The title doesn't really give us much information. It kind of sounds like gobbledygook. So we need to go back into their history and find out how they started. Right. So the group grew out of a black inmate organization called the Black Cultural Association, and it was started with the best of intentions. Berkeley students came to a California prison in the 60s and 70s to tutor prisoners and subjects like political science. So it was kind of a self-help group for prisoners, but it ended up turning into a black nationalist group that got violent. Yeah, one prisoner, Donald DeFries, took the lead, and some of the tutors got involved, too. And by 1973, in March, DeFries escapes from prison and goes to the Berkeley kids. Right, and they're stealing weapons, they're robbing places, they've got this faux military discipline where they're training in military maneuvers, but honestly don't really know what they're doing. And their ideas were about ending racism, ending monogamy, ending the prison system, and, you know, anything else that sounded vaguely capitalist. Yeah, so the SLA is this strange mixture of white, upper-middle-class, well-educated men and women, and then a prisoner, an African-American prisoner who is their leader, and they all want violence, too. This is not a peaceful movement. No. So on November 6, 1973, the SLA makes their move, and they kill black school superintendent Marcus Foster because he was trying to institute a system of school IDs, which they were very against. But this action turns the rest of the political left, and there are a lot of political radicals at Berkeley, against them because, well, if you're going to kill someone, why would you start with a well-respected black superintendent? Yeah, so this is the the start of the SLA, but how on earth did they enter the life of Patty Hearst, this famous heiress? Right, because she led a very privileged life. She was born in 1954 in San Francisco, and being the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, grew up very wealthy. She later described her childhood as pretty perfect, although she had some rebellious moments. She started dating one of her teachers when she was 16 or so, which, as you can imagine, her parents were really thrilled about, and they ended up engaged and living together. Different sources say she might have had more rebellion than just this romance with her teacher, and uh, she may have fought with nuns. She may have experimented with LSD and had a sexual history that began at age 15, but um, things are a little little dodgy about all Well, that. and that just makes me think of, I guess, the Amanda Knox trial, since at the time we're recording, that's been going on. She was just convicted. And it 
just makes a more interesting story to make her either a good girl or a bad girl. And, well, I mean, if you're experimenting with drugs and having sex at 15, clearly that sticks you in the bad girl category. Well, it's trying to to make a context around what later happens to her, right. make it make sense. And I want to make sure my sarcasm is evidence. <laughs> I am not classifying Patty Hearst as a quote-unquote bad girl. So that brings us up to our main event. February 4th, 1974, Patty is kidnapped from her apartment in Berkeley by the Symbionese Liberation Army. A woman comes to the door. She says she's having car trouble. Classic scam move. Can she use the phone? Patty opens the door. Two guys come in with automatic weapons. They beat up her fiancé, teacher. Flash teacher. Right. Patty's taken away. She's blindfolded and tied up. And then she's stuck in a hot, dark closet for days where no one talks to her but to freeze. So we don't know. Was she raped, beaten? Um, They probably don't let her sleep or eat very much. And her life is probably threatened. But details are... Yeah, some of her accounts change. She wrote a book about it, but she said different things in court, and she'd said different things in other interviews. So we're a little fuzzy on that, but I'm going to go ahead and say it wasn't a pleasant experience. No, and and on the outside, there's a media frenzy going on. You can imagine this young socialite has been kidnapped. And a few days later, the SLA says that they have Patty. They've judged her guilty, and they'd let her go if their demands were met. And... They also said that they would not cooperate with the police, so don't even bother getting them involved. And their main method of communication is sending recordings to the police or the media. So an example from their February 12th recording said, Greetings of profound love to all comrades in the concentration camps of fascist America and to all the children. And then they've got Patty saying that she's with a combat unit, they're armed, she wants to get out, and she just hopes that her parents will do what they say. She also said that she was okay and she wasn't being starved or beaten, and not to try to find her. So the SLA makes their demand to the Hearsts. Uh, They want $300 million worth of food given to the poor. Which is a pretty original demand, I'd have to say. Yeah, and the left actually likes this this ransom. All the radicals around Berkeley think this is a fantastic idea. But Randolph Hearst, Patty's father, says it's impossible. So another recording comes out shortly after that, and Patty says, since I am an example, and it's really important that everybody understand that, you know, I am an example and a warning. And because of this, it's very important to the SLA that I return safely. She also says people should stop acting like she's dead, and she wants her mom to get out of her black dress, which isn't helping, and just take care of her fiancé and just hurry. So she feels perhaps, like her family is putting on this public spectacle, but not really doing what needs doing to get much. done to get her out. But she also still sounds very much like the kidnap victim at this point. Right. So February 19th, the Hearst are going to start a food distribution program, People in Need. It'll feed 100,000 people for 12 months with $2 million, which is a far sight short of the $300 million the SLA wants. And it's not organized well because partly because it's just put together in such a hurry right that riots start at the food distribution points so clearly this isn't working out quite as anyone had hoped so patty releases another statement she says mom dad i've been hearing reports about the food program so far it sounds like you and your advisors have managed to turn it into a real disaster you said that it was out of your hands. What you should have said was that you wash your hands of it. It sounds like most of the food is low quality. No one received any beef or lamb. Anyway, it certainly didn't sound like the kind of food our family is used to eating. 
And then that's when you have to wonder, is Patty just reading off what they give her or is this, you know, her own thing that she's saying? Because that is such an oh snap moment, like to go on, you know, national media and tell your family they simply aren't doing a good enough of a job with their vast wealth. Yeah. So at this point, the SLA is trying to convert Patty, though. She's rich. It's her own fault that she's been kidnapped. Right. And that she's part of this capitalist machine. Yeah. And they demand $6 million from from her father. And Mr. Hurst says no. So, again, you have to imagine how it must have felt to be Patty and hearing that your family has abandoned you and they won't pay your ransom. Yeah. And that appears to be when she switches sides. Because on April 3rd, another recording comes out. And she said that she'd been given the choice of being released or joining the forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army and fighting for her freedom and the freedom of all oppressed people. And she says, I have chosen to stay and fight. I have been given the name Tanya after a comrade who fought alongside Shay in Bolivia. So she's in. She's a member now. And that brings us to the central question of the whole Patty Hearst case. Is it Stockholm Syndrome that's going on here? Has she been brainwashed? Is she just trying to survive and doing what she has to do? Or is she rebelling? Is she acting out against this sheltered, privileged life that she's had? And we have to imagine, I mean, up until this point, it would have been a very traumatic situation for her. And you might be just trying to please your captors however you can. Or is it just exciting to be around these weapons and these political radicals and all the free love that's going on? And and I think... You know, whether, was she rebellious before or not? That's kind of beside the point. You know, it, it doesn't matter if, if she tinkered with a little rebellion before this. She's, she's got an amazing chance for rebellion. We're on now. a whole new level now. <laughs> so email us and let us know what you think at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com because we'd like some extra opinions. Yeah. But going back to our story, it's April 15th. And this is Patty's big moment to shine as far as the news goes. She robs a bank with the SLA and she's armed. And the Hearsts, of course, say that Patty isn't acting of her own accord. The FBI puts out a wanted poster, but they just want her as a material witness. They think she must have been forced to do this at gunpoint. Yeah, and, and this robbery is probably, if you've ever seen a picture of Patty Hearst, it's probably from the bank cameras. Right. And she releases another statement. They're big on statements. And she says, no, she wasn't, in fact, forced to do this. She also calls her former fiancé an ageist, sexist pig and says, our actions of April 15th forced the corporate state to help finance the revolution. As for being brainwashed, the idea is ridiculous to the point of being beyond belief. I am a soldier in the People's Army. So we're not leaving any doubt yeah. there. Now she's on the lam. The FBI wanted poster changes. Now she's armed and very dangerous. She's not just wanted for, you know, questioning. She's not a kidnapping victim anymore. Oh, no. And there's another little incident. There are some members of the SLA who are shoplifting at a store in Los Angeles. And the police hadn't even known that the SLA had moved to L.A. So this was kind of a big deal. And Patty shoots out the storefront windows. So... Again, she's by herself now. She's in a car by herself, mm-hmm. and she does this action by herself. So the question that will later come up in her trial over and over again is, why didn't she ever just leave? And that's something that comes up with a lot of kidnapped victims. Uh, if they had a chance to leave at some point, why didn't they? And I don't, I don't think people can grasp 
the psychological that. hold too that someone can have over With you. And that's what Patty keeps saying. Her life was threatened over and over and over again. So she thought yeah. if she left, they would no. still get her somehow. But that brings us to May 1974. And this is a big change for the SLA to put it very lightly. The Los Angeles Police Department has completely had it with this group, and they find six members of the SLA holed up in Compton and start a gun battle, which is televised live. The police end up setting the house on fire, and all six members of the SLA die. Patty's not there, but she's watching on TV from a hotel room, and one of the first statements they release is that, no, Patty Hearst was not one of the six who were killed. But the SLAs that are left send the news a eulogy for the ones who died. And Patty says also that she's in love with Willie Wolf. So sorry, teacher, fiance, weed. He's so out of the <laughs> it's picture. <over. laughs> she also calls her family the pig Hursts. And Mrs. Hurst responds, I just hope everybody will remember that physically Patty is still a kidnapped victim. She was taken away against her will. And psychologically, she's a victim of thought control by terrorists. And all I can do is hope and pray that God will bring her home again. So she sticks to this line throughout the whole story and throughout the trial. And then they disappear. Um, Patty, Patty's gone. And Randolph Hearst withdraws his $50,000 reward. Um, and it's quiet for a little while. And then the bank robbing starts again. And in one of the robberies, Myrna Opsall, who's an innocent bystander, is killed in April 1975. And this will come up later because we end up finding the person. Yeah. And in August, the LAPD finds pipe bombs under two of their police cars. So the search is on again, and Patty and her friends are caught in September. And when asked for her occupation, Patty Hurst says, urban gorilla. So Patty's trial began January 15th, 1976, and the Hursts get F. Lee Bailey to defend her, who's a big, big time lawyer. Right, and a good celebrity attorney. Everyone needs one. Yeah. And Mrs. Hurst says she's primarily a kidnap victim. She never went off and did anything of her own free will. So that's the line the defense is going to stick to, saying that she was terrified, she was abused, it's possible she was drugged, and also that she was brainwashed. But that's kind of a disaster because the jury doesn't seem to understand the science behind that. A bunch of doctors are called in to explain, but maybe it's not explained well enough. Well, it's very inconsistent. Right. So I think a bunch of them just thought it was BS. And the trial itself is kind of bananas. It's definitely sensational. The judge is off giving interviews to all sorts of papers, which, of course, is inappropriate and unethical, we'd like to add. A doctor for the prosecution even calls Patty a rebel looking for a cause. So they really are trying to to demonize her. And she ends up being convicted on March 20th, 1976. She's guilty of armed bank robbery and sentenced to seven years in prison. But she gets out after 22 months. Jimmy Carter commuted her sentence, and she gets a full pardon from Bill Clinton on the last day of his term. The SLA members who kidnapped Hearst later received eight-year terms. And Patty Hearst went on to live a relatively quiet life. She's co-authored some books. She married her bodyguard and had children, one of whom is Lydia Hearst, the socialite. She's bred some dogs, been in some John Waters films. But this was probably the defining episode of her life, whether she likes it or not. And the question will always remain, was it Stockholm Syndrome, or was it just a, a fun, exciting time in her life, this brief window of craziness? Or, of course, was she brainwashed? 
And luckily for you all, we have articles on both at HowStuffWorks.com. If you go to our homepage and type in Stockholm Syndrome or Brainwashing at www.HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 